0: Wonderful. Well, last week, Steve shared an amazing story. Uh, Anybody here enjoy last week's message? Fantastic. It was an amazing story. And uh, it's a very hard act to follow after that one. Um, There was a standing ovation for those that weren't here. So it's a very hard act to follow. And Steve um, shared a little bit of his story of how he came to know Jesus. And part of that journey was how he was... Brought into relationship with God and, and um, experienced the forgiveness, the grace of God. And as a result of that, he had a broken relationship with his own father. He reached out and he forgave his dad and he saw his relationship with his father restored. You know, part part of God's desire for us with this whole series that we're talking about of so and shalom, of restoration, of salvaging, of, of making whole, is actually. God's desire is to see relationships restored. You know, it says in scripture that he's come and he's he's broken down the dividing wall that was established between the Greeks and the Jews. There was this dividing wall, there was conflict, there was a difference in culture, and it says Jesus came to break that down, that one of his missions and goals in life was to restore. That's God's heart and dream. God does not like the fact that we are at enmity with one another, that there is break in relationship. Now, we could easily do a whole series on that topic, and perhaps one day we might. But just for this morning, I wanted to just share some some really simple little tools that might help you in relationships, might help you to understand why some relationships seem so easy And why some relationships have seemed really hard and why there seems to be a a sense where you kind of miss one another and you're always misunderstanding each other. So hopefully this might be helpful for you. I want to tell you a little of my story, um, but you won't need the tissues. It's nowhere near like Steve's was last week. I was blubbering. Um, I grew up as the youngest of four and uh, there were three girls and a boy Uh, The poor boy, uh, you know, three sisters, he was henpecked, And God love him. He was the different personality. All three of us girls were strong, opinionated, loud-mouthed, and uh, liked to boss everyone around. So you can imagine what my poor brother had to put up with. Um, I'm sure we dressed him up often in girls' clothes. Uh, We picked on him, we teased him. And, um, you know, he was very different from us. And I I know that I've had to apologise to him and repent for some of the things I called him. So the names I said... One day we were talking about um, our dad. Our dad died when I was seventeen. My brother was two, old, two years older than me, so he would have been nineteen. And one day we were talking about dad, and he said, "You know, the problem with dad was that he was never there. He was never home." And I remember just sitting and looking at him. It's like he was on a different planet. And I'm going, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, and I know no, dad was never home. He was never around." And my father worked for... I'm from North Queensland. and He worked for the North Queensland Regional Electricity Board when electricity was uh, state government-owned. Um, and so he was in charge of all the streetlights within our city and uh, power outages and all those kind of things. So Dad was on call, and he was regularly called out. Um, but in my mind... I didn't think dad was never at home. I remember doing lots of things with my dad. I loved going out with my dad. I loved being known as his daughter. I loved and respected my dad very much. And uh, he was an honest man. He was a man who served the community greatly. And so my brother's comment really, like, stuck with me, and I just didn't get it. And I thought, how is it that two children growing up in the same home with the same parents, living the same experience, can have two different views? I loved my dad but my brother struggled with him. There was definite clashes. You know, I, I can't remember really fighting with my dad at all, but boy, did my brother and my, da- and my dad fight. Why, what, is, what was that all about? Many years ago, Steve and I read a book, and I'm sure many of you have heard of that book, and some of you may not. It's a book written by a guy called Gary Chapman, and it's called Five Love Languages. Anyone heard of that book? Yeah, a few of you have. And so this book is written, this guy Gary has, you know, obviously did some research and, and he looked into this, the way that people give and receive love and he, and he realised that there seemed to be five basic groups that people fell into. And he realised that people may be saying that they love one another, they're speaking a language, but what happens is if we're speaking two different languages, we don't feel that connection we're missing each other. And when I read that book and I, I looked at it and I realised this is what happened with my dad and my brother. You see, my brother's comment, dad was never there, he was never available, dad you know, didn't give us time. Suddenly I realised the most important thing for my brother, the way my brother felt loved and appreciated was if someone gave him time. But because dad was busy with work, he was often called out, my brother felt a disconnect. He didn't feel like dad loved him. Me, on the other hand, didn't bother me at all because that's not how I felt and received love. So I want to go through those five areas I want to give you a broad brush stroke of what they're about. You can go and buy the book and read up and there's actually quite a few of those books available and I highly recommend you do that because it is really worthwhile, not just to understand yourself, but to understand those around about you. You know, one of the biggest problems in the world that we hear is that people feel unloved. That uh, I think we often, you know, is an accusation perhaps in the church, there's no love in the church. You know, that sense of people feeling unloved. And perhaps the issue can be the fact that maybe there isn't anyone around that loves them or maybe part of the issue is people are loving them but not in a way that they understand or perceive. It's not speaking their language. So let's start with the first one. The first one is physical touch. That people give and receive love through physical touch. For some people to feel loved and appreciated, they need a hug. They need, you know, a squeeze of the arm, a pat on the head. They need that sort of something that comes along and physically touches them and comforts them and makes them feel secure. A hug to someone like this, it's, it's like a, a, a drink on a hot day. They just, it just makes them feel comforted and loved and secure. In our household... There is one person that this is definitely not their language at all. In fact, they despise being touched, hugged, you know, anything like that. Patted, you know, that was it. There was always trouble if that took place in our family. For me, physical touch is is one of my languages. Uh, Gary Chapman talks about the fact that we probably have a primary and a secondary language, one that we really kind of connect with and one that's also but not quite as strong. Physical touch is my secondary language. And... uh, This person in our family knows that I must have three hugs a year and guess what? I got one today. Yay! <laughs> yes, I got my... I got, you know, it's my birthday, Mother's Day and Christmas. They're the mandatory three hugs. I, he was walking down the corridor one day at home, you know, and I, I just looked at him and I just thought, oh, I love that boy. He's so good. I opened up my arms. I had a smirk on my face because I was thinking he was just such a lovely boy and I wanted to give him a hug. Because I wanted to tell him I loved him in my language. I wanted to hug him. And he looked at me and he ran. He goes, something wrong with her. (laughs) He was off. (laughs) You see, I can hug Alex all the time. But Alex doesn't feel loved. I feel like I'm loving him because I'm speaking my language. But he's not receiving it. As a church family, we've got to realize that there are people here that physical touch is the way that they give and receive love. For some of us, if someone comes up and gives you a hug, you could feel a little awkward. But you know what? They're trying to say something to you. They're trying to say that they care and that they appreciate you. And perhaps there are some here that, uh, you know, live on your own, and maybe physical touch is your language. And when they come to church, it's an opportunity where they can have a, you know, a little squeeze or a pat or a hug that actually just gives them that affirmation that they need. Don't be afraid of physical touch. Recognise that for you, that could be a way that you actually give and receive love, that you feel secure. I recognise that part of also this whole thing of these love languages, I can see very clearly, it's also part of people's gifts and talents can be linked in. There is a learning style. I don't know if you realise that people learn in different ways. Some people learn through auditory, through hearing. Some learn through visual. There are also people that are called kinesthetic learners that learn by doing. And I find guys that are physical touch. Kate's sort of... And would you think you're a physical touch? Yep, she's nodding. The kinesthetic learners, the way they learn to do it, they've got to do it. They've got to actually physically, you know, you can't can't, um, show it to them. They've got to pick up the tools and do it themselves. But also, they're very much into taste and touch, you know, that whole thing. So Nathaniel, whose love language is physical touch, if he's eating something, he'll go, ''Here, Mum, have a taste.'' Was to him, it's kind of like, I want to share this experience with you. And so there is that sort of sense of the, not just the, the, your hands, but also the senses. They're very much a, a love language of the senses. So that's the first one, physical touch. The second one is gifts. Now, I think we would all be aware, particularly on days like mm, birthdays, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, um, that, you know, the, the stereotypical thing that, you know, the, the husband's in trouble... If he hadn't bought the wife a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates, she feels unloved. You know, it's very much stereotypical, but there is a grain of truth in that. There is a love language that gives and gives love to people by giving gifts. I don't know if you've got anybody in your family or in your circle that's like this. I've got a, a cousin, and she cannot come to our house unless she comes bearing gifts, and she will come with her homemade tomato sauce, she'll come with some plants. But but Margaret can't come unless she comes with a gift. And it's her way of saying, I appreciate you, I care about you, I love you. That there's got to be those gifts. But the reverse of that, for her to feel love, she also needs to receive a gift. And so we've got to understand that this, you know, it's not about a value, it's it's about an effort. You know, a flower picked out of the garden is as valuable as a bunch of flowers bought at the shop. You know, our daughter Chloe, um, she's, she's got a little gift thing in her and uh, she would often leave us notes and write us notes or make us something. And today I wear my only Mother's Day gift. It's a cross sent from England, from Holy Island, from Linda's Farm that Chloe sent over for me. Um, she made sure I got it for Mother's Day. You know, it's important to her that's how she feels loved And so Steve is much better at this than me. You know, Steve goes, oh, we've got to go to so-and-so's place, we need to buy something to take, or we need to get so-and-so a gift. I don't think about it. I'm completely oblivious to the, the whole gift thing. It's not the first thing in the front of my mind. I'm very grateful that I have someone who thinks about that. It's really important that we... We kind of recognise it may not be something that matters to us, but it matters to other people, that gifts are important. And that's part of the reason, ladies, we've got you something today, something you can take home to realise that you are loved and appreciated for all that you do here in this place. The connection with gifting that I feel with uh, people that, um, whose love language is gifts is the sense that they uh, have the spirit of generosity There is a spiritual gift called the gift of generosity. I don't have it, but it is an amazing gift, and I'm very grateful for that gift that exists within the body of Christ. And these people just have this inordinate ability just to be generous. A friend of ours, she just can't help herself. She is just incredibly generous. It just pours out of her. And you just recognize it's just also part of her love language. She's a gifts girl. The third area that uh, Chapman brings out is one called acts of service. So people that give and receive love through doing acts of service. Now, how many mums got their breakfast in bed this morning? You know, oh, wonderful, we got some. Yay, I got mine. Thank you, darling. And I'm looking at my husband, not my children. Um, I I received a a beautiful cup of coffee and uh, that in bed this morning. Um, Hopefully they cleaned up afterwards. Mm. Sometimes that was always part of it You know, I don't know about you But when our kids were little They'd often think they'd bless mum and dad By making them breakfast, bringing it in Yeah, you then had to clean up afterwards One day Nathaniel decided That he would make us breakfast in bed And he would make uh, tea and coffee Now I think he might have been seven or eight He wasn't, you know, he was still quite little and I think it was, you know, tea and coffee and toast in bed, is that right? And he decided that, um, you know, he'd come in and he'd whisper to dad and he'd find out how to make a cup of coffee for mum. And he'd go back out the kitchen, he'd put the kettle on. And dad assured him that he just needed to put one teaspoon of coffee in the cup. <laughs> he brought in the coffee and needless us to say he thought that he would bless mummy and give her four tablespoons of coffee... <laughs> just like the Milo, you know, surely it tastes better with more in there, because Milo always does, oh boy, that was really, I was just like, there was no way I could even smell it, you know, you go, whoa, I'm not going near there, uh, acts of service, these people that just are able just to serve, they just are able to, to get up and do things for other people, it's their way of saying, I love you. It's Steve's primary love language. In our family, he serves. He does the cooking. He is an incredible server. What's really important, though, is for those of us that are are around, those who love through acts of service, that we reciprocate. Giving Steve a hug is not going to tell him that he feels appreciated and loved after he's just cooked a dinner. Actually, I need to get up and clean up and wash up and do the dishes. Does that make sense? You know, we've got to speak the same language for that appreciation to be there. When um, when Alex was little, he uh, around the age of eight or nine, we struggled getting him out of bed, and um, he had always been, you know, easy. He'd get up, get himself dressed, ready for school, and there was no dramas. But for some reason, he just went through a period where he was really being a right little in the morning and we were struggling and we were hitting heads until Dad came up with the idea that he would take him in some breakfast in the morning. So Dad made him a cup of tea and toast and took it into him or his Weet-Bix or whatever. And you know what? The change in Alex was dramatic. He would leap out of bed and get ready for school and he'd be the first one dressed. And I remember looking at Steve thinking, hello, I think we've hit on something. I think we're beginning to understand our son." And around the same time, Alex would come out with his school shoes on and his laces undone. And he'd put his foot out to me and he'd go, will you do up my laces? And I'd look at him, being the loving, kind, sweet-hearted, gentle mother. You can imagine what my response was. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. You're old enough to do up your own shoelaces. Guilty. Um, you know, and so I kind of looked at him and I had that reaction a couple of times. And then I thought about the breakfast in bed and I went, hang on a minute. I don't think Alex is saying to me, Mum, will you do up my shoelaces? What Alex was saying is, Mum, do you love me? He was saying, Mum, I don't like you hugging me to say you love me, but if you do up my shoelaces, you're doing something for me, I know that you love me. And we realised that for Alex that was a really important thing, that we had to learn to serve him, to show him that we loved him, that my hugs were not doing it for him, but rather tying up his shoelaces did. You know, if I think about people with acts of service, I think of Mother Teresa. You know that not only, I dare say, was it her love language, but it's the way that she lived her life. It's the way that she did her job. She lived out that sort of sense of service. I um bought this scarf at the stall. Um, you know, just recently we had it up there. I hadn't actually looked at the things until they went on sale. I love the word sale. And uh, it's a beautiful knitted scarf that I I purchased. I don't know who knitted it. I, I assume someone here did, and they they did an act of service because I've started knitting. Thanks, love. My husband loves that, and uh, I know that it, this would not have happened quickly. This would have taken time and effort. Someone served, you know, and that the funds that were raised are going to uh, projects overseas, you know. And I think people serve in incredible ways, and we've got to make sure that we actually appreciate them back in the same language. The fourth area of love language is words of affirmation. There's a saying that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now, for some people, that may be very, very true, but for people whose love language is words of affirmation, words are what make them and words are what break them big time. Words mean so much to these people. And it's probably one of the ones where, you know, I suppose in every love language you can see if you don't give a gift, people will feel unloved. If you don't serve them, they'll feel unloved. But if you criticise someone who is a words of affirmation person, you crush them very, very easily. And hence you can understand why there becomes this missing, this non-connecting in love when people are speaking very different languages. This is my main love language is words of affirmation and I've learnt over the years how to get what I need because I ask Steve all the time if he loves me. Is anybody else guilty of asking that question all the time? And, you know, can you imagine the roll of the eyes? He goes, for goodness sake, you know, I made you coffee, you know, I I, I mowed the lawn, I cooked dinner, you know, I put the rubbish out. What do you mean do I love you? Of course I love you, but I need to hear the words. When someone asks you those kind of very leading, obvious questions, the good thing is to answer them, even though to you it seems a bit trite, it's necessary for the words of affirmation people because they need to hear the words. All those acts of service don't say anywhere near as much as the words that are spoken. So can I encourage you, as I've learnt in my relationship, that I ask the question. I know it's not natural for Steve. Just like I don't think to buy a gift, he doesn't think to say the words off the top of his... You know, it's just not natural. So I've just learned to ask the questions. I ask lots of questions like that. Do you think I'm amazing? Am I wonderful? I ask lots of questions. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, he's silly enough every time to say yes. So, you know, I, I just keep getting the answers that I want. You know, these people tend to be real positive thinkers. They are people who usually find it hard to be critical because it's their love language. To criticise someone is an antithesis of who they are. Often, probably, you know, in, in the spiritual realm, there'd be people who, are, who feel very comfortable working in the, the whole thing of the prophetic. and the, You know, those words of encouragement are, are just natural for them. The last one is quality time. The last love language that Chapman picked up was one of quality time, and as I said before, this is what I believe was my brother's love language. Quality time is about spending time with someone and not playing on your mobile phone, not watching television, not being distracted by everything and anything, but by actually giving that concentrated, connected time with the person. If you want to show a quality time person that you care, take him out for coffee one-on-one. Give him space to talk. Alex is, is, is a quality time person. If you get Alex in our family, he's probably the one that would say the least around the dinner table. You get Alex one-on-one, whoa, he doesn't stop talking. It's wonderful. Because he just needs that one-on-one quality time to think he's got space, he's got people's attention, that they care enough they're going to listen to what he has to say. So when you hear someone complaining that you don't give them time, you're not, you know what I mean? That they're, you know, often Steve will say to me, you know, just just talk to me. He wants that connection, that that quality time. You need to. Use those words as antennas to to pick up and go, Oh, hang on a minute, I'm thinking they're saying, you know, I want to feel loved here, I want to feel that connection, I want to speak to you in the language that matters to me, give me that quality time. I wondered whether a lot of counsellors may be quality time people. You know, I think it takes a great patience to be a counsellor or, you know, that sort of thing where you just get that real concerted one-on-one time and go, wow. You know, that's, that's interesting, pastoral people. You know, I think about Lynn, you know, and she visits and, she, wow, you know, and that's just not my natural gift, but it's a really necessary thing that we give people time, that we, we give them focused time one-on-one. As I continue to travel down the road of life, I realise that it's not just important to understand... You know, my husband's or my children's love languages and try and communicate with them and show them love, that I love and appreciate them in a language they understand. But actually, I've got to grow up and I've got to mature and I've got to develop the ability to love all people in all languages. That I've got to learn to actually be more generous. I've got to learn to give people more concentrated one-on-one time and focus in on them that I have got to learn. I've got to go beyond that which is natural for me. I've got to learn to serve. I've got to learn to get up and make cups of tea for people. You know, you know that sort of sense of going, you know, it's wonderful to understand yourself and how you work. It's fantastic to be able to understand yourself or your children or, or those that are close to you. But, you know, I think we've got to go a bit further than that. i have actually got to realise that, you know, when Jesus came to earth, he embodied every one of these things. In Philippians 2, 6 to 8, he says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross you know Jesus is the embodiment of these things he came to earth in physical form that we might know his touch we might be able to read in the pages what it was like for God to come to earth and to become man he was God's gift to us he laid down his life as a gift he gave time to the masses to the, to the disciples to the father to the father All of these things, these these love languages are embodied in Christ and he calls us all to be more like himself. We're called to be like Jesus and we've actually got to go beyond that which is easy and natural for us and we've actually got to enlarge ourselves and become people of love in all of its various forms, in ways that we learn to speak one another's languages. So as we conclude our service... Ladies, I want to encourage you to take your gift. The men are going to serve morning tea. You get an opportunity to be served. Take a moment to hug someone. Appreciate them. Sit and have a coffee, chat one-on-one, connect with them. Let people know that you love and appreciate them in a language that they can hear and understand. Let us pray. Father, we do appreciate the gift of Jesus that came to earth. We appreciate, Jesus, all that you did for us, that you laid down your life for us. Jesus, we appreciate that you showed us what love really is. And God, I pray that you would come by your spirit and you'd open up us, our hearts and our minds, that we may love those around about us in a way that is meaningful. God, in a way that we're able to connect. God, not just, Lord, in our homes, but, God, also in our communities and in our workplaces. Father, I pray that, God, you would bring a revelation and understanding to us of how to love those that are near us and give us the capacity to go beyond what is natural for us into those realms that are difficult. God, remind us and enlarge us, we pray. Amen and amen. Wonderful. Thank you.